Hello, and welcome to the third episode of the Teaching at PAU podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Mazal. Today, we are here to discuss one of the hotter topics in higher education today, online teaching. We're so very lucky to have a guest who knows the subject exceptionally well, Dr. Donna Shapiras. Donna is a licensed counselor and educator who has been teaching for over 18 years and has specifically been teaching online for 10 years. She has an extensive research background, which includes research on the topic we'll be discussing today. She joined PAU in 2016, and we are definitely all the better for it. I'd like to give a warm welcome to our guest, Donna. Thank you so much for being here today, Donna. I love this topic, so I am happy to talk about this. <laughs> and we're happy to have you talk about it. <laughs> so why don't we begin with our first question, which is, why don't you tell our listeners about your background and about your, your professional background and about yourself? Like many counselor educators, I did not start out to be an educator. I started out as a clinician. So the first 10 years of my uh, career was spent working with clients individually in groups, in inpatient facilities. And I really loved the relational aspect of working as a professional counselor. And then I was able to work in a more supervisory perspective, working with growing clinicians as they were attaining their licensure and such. That really led into the academic side of things. Mm. After getting my PhD and starting to teach, I really valued that in the class experience of really bringing the topic to life with my students. And so I can promise you, if you had asked me 15 years ago if I'd ever be doing a podcast about online teaching, that that would have been the <laughs> furthest thing from my radar. And yet here we are. Right, right. And so you know, I, I went, I'm going to kind of step into your second, what I think is your second question. I was like, so how did we end up here, right? Um, I entered into online teaching as an amazing skeptic. I did not believe it was possible to provide good pedagogy, first of all, in an online format. But secondly, particularly teaching what we teach, a truly relational topic area that is built on a foundation of knowing your client, knowing their needs, really understanding the human condition. Um, I just had no belief that that could be taught in an online format. And I had the good fortune of having a mentor who took a position with a fully online accredited master's counseling program. And he said, you know, teach a class. Tell me what you think. So I did. I just taught a class to sort of test the waters. And I was quite sure that when I got to the end of that class, I was going to say, this is baloney. This is garbage. I need to go back to my classroom. That's where I'm the best. And instead, what I found was my students were engaged online. Some of the academic processes were actually more rigorous than what was happening in my on-the-ground classroom. Mm -hmm. um, and I was able to capture so much data because everything was written or recorded or in some way housed inside a learning management system. Um, it was fascinating and I actually ended up going to work for that same mentor a couple of years later. Wow, okay. So, so you had a mentor say, give it a shot and see what you think about online teaching and you went in a skeptic and you came out a believer. Right, that is exactly right. So I totally understand why people listening might be saying, okay, that's a good 
idea for teaching maybe undergraduate business or undergraduate uh, history, things that don't change over time. But when you're teaching assessment, when you're teaching um, statistics, and you really need to reach students and sort of bring them to understanding what you're trying to share with them, you can't do that online. You need to be sitting in the classroom with them. You need to be putting them in clinical situations. And I agree, you do. But what's been cool is there have been ways to build on that and integrate those two pieces um, and so that you can do them online. It just takes a shift. It's a pedagogical shift for me. Hmm. Well, so you're, you're kind of touching upon a subject that I think is really important. There are a lot of sort of erroneous thoughts about online teaching, a lot of myths, a lot of misconceptions. And so I am curious, what, do you, what are the prominent myths that you've heard about online teaching? And what does the research actually say? What do we know about online teaching? Right. And there's some excellent research on online teaching. And we've had just a host of it over the last two, three decades as we've sort of stepped our toes into the process. Um, but right now, what we're looking at, and this, this is a stat from um, about six years ago, we're looking at more than 75% of classes and institutions offering some level of an online experience um, with their coursework. So it's something to really look at. But yes, we do have some blocks because I wasn't trained online. So I don't see naturally how that works. So one of the first myths I had when I took that first adjunct position is I really thought, okay, cool. Um, I'm not going to have to be in the classroom for three hours from six to nine on a Tuesday night every week. So this is going to be easy peasy. It's not going to take as much time. It's not going to take as much preparation. And let me tell you, <laughs> it was quite the opposite. And what we see when uh, faculty talk about engaging in an online experience is they're actually putting more time because they're building their learning management systems. They're creating activities that allow students to fully engage. The class materials are different. Online teaching is not taking um, what I did in the on-the-ground classroom and throwing it into some web-based alternative. That's just not what it is. So anyway, I thought this was going to be easy peasy and it hasn't been, but it has been very rewarding um, mm -hmm. and exciting. Um, another thing I thought was, well, the first class I ever taught was fully and completely online. There were no uh, Zoom meetings like we have at PAU. There were no online required class times. It was completely asynchronous. There was not a synchronous component. So I thought there wouldn't be much class participation. And what I found out instead was there was even more class participation. Mm. And, and here's, here's what I've learned, and here's also what the research bears out. When you are in front of a class, um, teaching a class of 20, 30 students, as we all have done, there are some students that simply take up more space than others. And we like those students. They're often very engaging, very smart, very with it. Mm -hmm. But they sometimes take away the space of the student that we would also like to hear from. When I have the discussion that I'm having in a classroom, in an online discussion board, everybody's participating at the same level. Now, that doesn't mean that my super engaged, excited student isn't posting way above the minimum requirements and <laughs> still taking up some space, right? <laughs> but I'm also hearing from that student who ordinarily would maybe fly a little bit under my radar. 
So I really get to know them. I really get to know their knowledge. I really get to know their strengths. And it's different than in a classroom where I might could, um, it might be uncomfortable for me to call them out and say, I'd really like to hear from you. Um, yeah, so that's, that was a big one. I, I mentioned earlier that I thought, well, it wouldn't be as rigorous, and then I found out, hey, maybe it is. So in my first institution that was fully online, we have a credentialing exam in my profession. And the students in the fully online uh, program were actually performing better on that credentialing exam than students from my on-the-ground program, which was a little embarrassing because I had a fully accredited on-the-ground program that I absolutely loved. But there was something about putting it in writing all the time and being face-to-face -face with the material and engaging the material all the time, not just in a discussion, that somehow translated to an increased score on our credentialing exam. So that's not something I ever want to lose sight of, that we have the opportunity to really grow our students, not only to be great clinicians, but also to be very savvy when it comes to licensure and credentialing. All right, so the last myth then is I thought... I, you know me, Crystal, I'm a little high energy. <laughs> I share that. With I you. thought, oh my gosh, how is that going to work in this learning management system platform? How are students going to know me? How am I going to get that rapport that I worked on so hard with clients over the years and then in building that classroom engagement over the years? And what I found was I just had to do it differently. I had to get creative. I started making cool avatar postings, um, <laughs> talking to my students using my voice. Or I would just record a little mini YouTube of, hey, this is me, and let's talk about the material this week, because we don't have that, we did not have at that institution that synchronous component. Now here at PAU, I have that relationship with my students. I'm able to see them face-to-face, -face, every one of them, all at one time on Zoom, and have that sort of rapport building opportunity. But in the fully online, asynchronous type of environment, I just had to get creative and show them who I was and find ways to connect personally through email, through chat, through uh, in the platform discussion boards about things that weren't necessarily related to the content, but might be related to things going on in the profession today or cool news articles I had read or cool videos I wanted to share with them or videos I made for myself. So lots of things that I thought weren't gonna be true turned out to be the absolute opposite, or that I thought would be true, turned out to be the absolute opposite. And then places like the Online Learning Consortium and other institutional research has borne out that if we build our courses right and we build a supportive online community, we really are able to create that learning community, that scholarly community that we know we can do in a classroom. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, you know, actually, you touched a, a bit on this, and I, I think I'd like you to kind of extend the conversation, but people often hesitate when it comes to online teaching, primarily because of the perception that it can adversely impact relationships with both colleagues and students. Since you've, you've taught in both these realms, both, you know, on the ground and virtually, um, can you speak a little bit more on your thoughts about this? Does it, does it make it harder to connect? Um, when you aren't working with someone in person? Oh my goodness, yes. It makes it harder, but it doesn't make it impossible. Mm -hmm. And you just do it differently, just like I did with my students. Now, admittedly, when I first started working 
online. I really worked hard on the student relationship and I thought the collegial professional relationships would just sort of happen naturally the way they do. But what I learned was I wasn't walking down the hallway and seeing you after the weekend and saying, how was your weekend? Or seeing pictures of your family in your office or, you know, maybe hearing you talk about a hobby or something the way I would in an on the ground environment. So I had to be intentional about that. Um, and so it's harder to connect, but if you do it with intentionality and rethink what it takes to make and sustain a connection, it's really kind of cool. So there's one pretty decent uh, research study around this, actually looking at mid-career faculty who are online and what they're looking for and what their advantages and disadvantages are. One of the things that came out of that project is that really those faculty who are invited by their institutions to network, to engage in professional development, um, who learn how to teach well online, but side by side with their colleagues, they actually fare better in their online teaching experience than institutions that sort of just ignore that collegial aspect, that coffee time, water cooler part. Um, and that's how you and I connected, right? Is I wanted to connect with other PAU faculty. I'm out to campus a couple of times a year. The faculty retreats that we have are amazing and great ways for me to put real live faces because I spent a lot of time in Zoom with a lot of people on campus. Um, but it's different to break bread with them and hang out under the beautiful arbor uh, like we did a few weeks ago. But the institution or elements of that institution can also offer other ways to do that. So you and I sort of came up with an idea of what if we just opened a space for people to talk about, you know, we're all working remotely. Whether you consider yourself an online faculty member or not, the way we are structured at PAU physically is that we're all working remotely at least part of our time. And I, for one, you know, I can't beat the commute, right? I commute <laughs> from upstairs to downstairs to my office. I love that. And I know that my Bay Area colleagues love the commute when they get to work from home too. But I don't want people to be isolated. And that sense of isolation really is what makes teaching from a distance and working from a distance difficult. So how do we connect? Um, so having these meetups like we're talking about, I think is one great way to do that. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, October 30th, we have it set. Um, and we're, since a lot of our faculty, it's interesting because when I first did orientation starting two years ago, I never had the question of, oh, is this based on, you know, Pacific Standard Time? Um, but all of a sudden, I noticed that a lot of faculty were asking me that uh, question and because they were on the East Coast. And so now when I do orient new faculty, I make sure I put, well, this is based on Pacific Standard Time. Um, so there are a, a number of faculty that we have that are around the nation um, now. So yeah, in order to connect and sort of to reduce pedagogical isolation, to increase camaraderie and connection, because we have phenomenal faculty. Um, you know, we are going to be co-leading a virtual meetup on October 30th for an hour. And I'm hoping that can be um, a quarterly event um, so that we get to know one another better. I know with us, our relationship, I, I consider it really strong relationship and the only thing that surprised me about you when I met you in person is that you're tall. I was taller <laughs> than you thought. <laughs> I'm a, you're taller, you know, coming from a, 
that's the only thing I couldn't really pick up on on Zoom. Uh, and given that I'm so short. <laughs> um, funny. Yeah. But, and I think the way we've really conceptualized this meetup is we want to not only reduce personal isolation, because let's face it, our work relationships are some of our strongest relationships and mm -hmm. they do have a personal element. We bring ourselves to it. Sometimes we even work with people that we consider to be friends that we might hang out with or at least have lunch with that sort of thing. And we don't have a way to do that if we all are working from our remote places and only coming in maybe one day a week or part of a week. We do have a way to do that intentionally with a virtual meetup and not just to hang out and say, what are you doing this weekend? But to really look at what are you doing to make this uh, not coming to campus work for you? Because mm -hmm. it took some effort for me to learn how to work from home. That takes a lot of diligence on the part of the employee to be, to not get distracted by laundry or whatever's on television or whatever, you know, it does take discipline. It's a different kind of work environment. So I hope that in our first meetup, we can start to talk about not only what do we do pedagogically to improve the work that we do from a distance perspective, but also what do we do as employees to improve our work life. Um, and I shared with you next, in a couple of weeks, I'll be going to a counselor education and supervision conference and presenting on this topic with a group of colleagues, none of which I currently work with, but all of which I've worked with at some institution along my career. We are all working fully online, either because our institution is fully online, or like me, we are an online faculty member for an on-the-ground institution. And we're presenting on this topic, on what it takes to really maintain those relationships so that you don't feel isolated, how to conduct research, how to develop research teams from an online perspective, how to best use some of the technologies that we have available to us um, so that we are not reinventing the wheel at all these different institutions. It's been very exciting for us to really dig into the literature around this and start looking at our own research interests uh, around growing professional relationships because that's where we see the key to happiness is people want to enjoy what they do. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what causes me to enjoy what I do is I enjoy the people I work with. So I, I, I agree with you completely. And I think it'd be, you know, that's exciting that you'll be presenting on this. And, and hopefully we can talk about that on October 30th as well and, and hear what, you know, uh, how that experience was like for you. Absolutely. Um, you know, it, it does. I you know, given that you've been teaching in the online realm for 10 years, I'm sure it's changed uh, considerably. Um, <laughs> so I am curious, where do you see the future of online instruction heading? So I think if you want to really look at where we're going, you have to really take a look at where we've come from. And mm -hmm. the Online Learning Consortium did a pretty good job of digging up the history of online learning. And um, this goes way back to correspondence courses, which you may remember, but you, you may not be old enough to remember, but I remember them. And they would be literally, let's mail you something and you complete it and you mail it back. But did you know that online learning actually, or distance learning, goes back even further, truly to the invention of the radio. There were educational broadcasts that you could earn your degree or take classes via the radio. So we're talking- Really? Oh. 1900s stuff here which is so cool, right? That's just not what we think of when we think um, distance education. We think the internet, but it goes back as far as um, 
mail, which has been around forever. Um, and then radio, which has been around in real format for us to utilize in this way since the early 1900s even television. Um, and I can remember taking classes when I was an undergraduate where they were transmitted to a television in our dorm because the class sizes were so large. So you have to look at how we've used technology all along, right? And then of course the internet comes along and it changes everything because now we can engage. It's not just watch and respond, but there's actual ability to engage with faculty, engage with other students, to not be isolated, so it was about the mid-90s when universities really started experimenting with online courses. So again, we're looking at a pretty long uh, history of online opportunities. And there's still a long ways to go. We've spent a lot of time looking at how do we bring information to students. That's been the primary focus of distance education. And the belief being that it is possible to get an education without breathing the same air as the student, um, which was something that we never considered um, until we really started looking at distance education. And we've seen that it is effective, right? So now we've gone from, all right, how do we do it? How do we do it well? What do we need to do to change our learning management systems to be engaging, interactive, ways, to, I, there's a lot of gaming technology being used in learning management systems. So young people who are used to video games are then challenged at that same way to get information and their testing is different. It's really a lot of fun. So now we've moved into adaptive technologies. What's the best way to actually reach people? It might not be sitting in front of a PC um, on a desk and logging into a classroom. We see a lot of mobile technology. I use Zoom and Canvas on my phone all the time. I can check in and see who's posted. I can check in and see who's turned in an assignment. I can even respond in discussion boards on my phone. So it goes with me. Now I will say, if you're in a position where you can work from anywhere, you're also in a position where you will work from everywhere. And so you have to be careful about limits when we're talking about distance education. You don't clock out at the end of that class at seven o'clock or nine o'clock and go home. Not that any of us ever clock out, right? Because education is like laundry. The minute you start grading, you think you're caught up and then a whole new batch comes in. Right? <laughs> uh, so you know my thought about this and it may be kind of silly, but I think that we are looking at ways to be present without being physically present. And those adaptive and mobile technologies are really going to be at the forefront of that. So I really truly do believe at some point we'll be sitting in a hologram classroom that we will be all gathered together and none of us really in the same space um, and interacting with one another, uh, doing role plays together, um, having group uh, think tanks in that type of holographic format. That's way beyond my skill set from a technical perspective. But you know, when people were taking correspondence courses and mailing their tests back in to be graded, I bet they never thought that they would pick up a phone. First of all, I never thought they would carry a phone in their pocket, but they also probably never thought they would take that phone out of their pocket and see what their grade was. So I think amazing things are yet to come with distance education and it's more exciting than it is uh, threatening. But be skeptical, try it out. That's the, the way to work in academics. We are critical thinkers. If you think it's not for you, try it and find out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I actually 
have had such a pleasant experience teaching online last year. I had taught previously taught online and um, but I hadn't taught online for about four or five years and I hadn't used Zoom technology. And so last year I taught two residential courses for history and systems and I did one online course. And, you know, I, I had a good bond with my students um, in all of the modalities. And um, I just, it, it really can be done. It really can be done and it can be done effectively. And um, I'm really, really grateful and joyful that I got to talk to you about this today. I share your fervor for online instruction. And I do think that I do get excited about the prospect of hologram classrooms as well. Yeah, me too. I also think we're headed that way clinically, but that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> Completely. Excited that PAU is open-minded, um, that the administration is uh, open and interested, and that they do understand that online teaching does not equal Zoom. The Zoom's an awesome tool, and I love it. I love the breakout room potential. I love the chat. I love all of it. Um, and yet, it is so much more, and this is an institution that gets that and supports that. So we're in the right place if we want to explore this. And if it doesn't work for some faculty, it doesn't work. Um, so it's just, it's so personal. Absolutely, absolutely. But thanks for having me. This has been really exciting to talk about. Yes. I'm looking forward to our meetup later this month. October 30th. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dawn. I really appreciate you being here with us today. Thank you for joining us for the third episode of the Teaching at PU podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Nazal. I look forward to seeing you next time.